0: Hey, uh, before we get started, next weekend at all of our campuses, it's what we're calling Give Us Kentucky Weekend. So for all of you folks in Williamsburg and Somerset and everybody here in London, uh, next week is Give Us Kentucky Weekend and I'm super excited about the service that we have planned next week, super excited about the message that I have for next weekend. Uh, So trust me, uh, this is a weekend that you don't wanna miss and besides that, if you care, it's a weekend I don't want you to miss. So I would love for you to do your best to be here. And again, if you'll do your best to be here next weekend say I will, I will. All right. All right. Hey, we're in our final week of God lovers and people haters and other things that don't go together. And we've been talking about a group of people that I like to refer to as the religious establishment. And when Jesus showed up onto the pages of history, when Jesus launched his public ministry, uh, the religious establishment of his day were regarded as those who love God and those who championed morality and those who defended truth. And when Jesus launched his ministry, Jesus became an enemy of those people. He became an enemy of the religious because he became a friend to the irreligious. Uh, To put it in the terms of his followers in the first century, Jesus, he became the enemy of the religious when he became a friend to sinners. And that's exactly what Jesus was. Uh, I hope that everybody here spends a little bit of time each day, uh, whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever it may be. I hope that you spend a little bit of time each day reading through the scriptures, specifically reading through the gospels. Because as you read through the gospels and you're introduced to Jesus, our savior, our Lord, the son of God, God, the son. The one thing that you're gonna find about him is that he was a friend to those who lived in the margins of life, Uh, the misfits, the oddballs, the rejected, the powerless, the voiceless, Uh, the bruised and the hurting, those who had been forgotten and those who had been forsaken by both culture and religion. The people that the religious establishment looked at and said, hey, you're unclean, you're unholy, and God considers you unwanted, unwelcomed, and unloved. It was those people uh, that Jesus decided to side with and stand up for because nobody else was siding with them and nobody else was standing for them. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, became an enemy of those who love God, an enemy of those who champion morality, an enemy to those who believed that they were defending the truth. He became an enemy of the establishment because he became a friend to sinners. He was rejected by the establishment because he accepted sinners. He was hated by the establishment because he loved sinners. Now, when you read through the gospels and you try to peel you know, below the surface and find out really what was going on, one of the reasons why they couldn't stand Jesus And one of the reasons why they hated him so much was this right here. Jesus seemed to value people more than he did his own religion, customs, and traditions. And this offended them. They couldn't understand this because nothing was more important to the establishment than their religion, their customs, and their traditions. And it seemed as though Jesus didn't care even about his own religion, his own customs, and his own traditions by the way that he lived his life. Jesus refused to play by the rules of his day. But don't miss this. He refused to play by the rules of his day. He broke the rules of his day, but he did not do anything wrong. Jesus refused to play by the rules of the establishment. So he healed on the Sabbath. He allowed his disciples to eat with unwashed hands. He talked to women in public because in the first century, you didn't talk to women in public. And not only did he talk to women in public, but he talked to a Samaritan woman. He let women who had bleeding issues, women who were prostitutes, touch him. He dined with tax collectors, invited tax collectors to come and hang out with him. He invited people who were nothing like him to be in his tribe. Jesus, he upset the apple cart. He offended the religious establishment. And this is one of the big reasons why. Another reason is this. Jesus boldly corrected misinterpretations of scripture and misunderstandings of God that contributed to mistreating people. Jesus called out their lifeless faith. He said, hey, you're like well-decorated tombs. You look good on the outside, but let's not forget on the inside, you're dead. Well, they were offended by that. Naturally so, but Jesus called out their lifeless faith. Jesus called out their loveless theology and their faulty framework. Their faulty framework through which they read the scriptures and from which they interpreted the scriptures. Jesus believed in the same scripture that they believed in. He believed that the Old Testament was inspired and infallible. But the thing that he took issue with was their interpretation of the infallible inspired text. And so Jesus said, hey, you're reading the scriptures in such a way that allows you to mistreat people. And that's not the right way to read it. You're interpreting it in such a way that you are unloving some people. You're interpreting it wrong. And and here's the terrifying thing. I hope this is terrifying. It's terrifying to me. I hope it's terrifying to you. Everything that the religious establishment believed, the religious establishment that hated Jesus, rejected Jesus, and considered him an enemy, everything they believed seemed clear and right to them. Now imagine if some of the things that you think are clear and some of the things that you think are right are neither. Jesus offered them a brand new framework. He says, you've been reading the scriptures entirely wrong. He says, you've been getting the law and the prophets entirely wrong. So here's what Jesus did. He took the 10 commandments and he took the 613 commandments of the Old Testament. And then he combined them to two. He said, this is the most important. You've heard this before. Love God and love your neighbor. Let's all just say that out loud together. Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus said, that's most important to God. It should be most important to you. A love for God requires a love for your neighbor. You can't have one without the other. If you have one without the other, you have bad theology. If you have one without the other, you you aren't paying attention to scripture. If you think you can love God and not love your neighbor, then you have got a bad misunderstanding about God. If you think you can be right with God, but unforgive people, not forgive people. He says, you don't love God the way that God wants you to love him. If you can resent certain people, if you can have ill will towards certain people, if you can slander certain people behind their back, gossip about certain people behind their back, if you can be a racist, if you can be prejudicial in a bad way towards people and think that you love God the way that God wants you to love him, he says you are fooling yourself. He said, because all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, it's the peg that it all hangs on. If you want to know what the Old Testament is all about, love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. What's Genesis all about? Love God and love your neighbor. What about Exodus? Love God and love your neighbor. Leviticus, love God and love your neighbors. Numbers, Deuteronomy. What's it all about? Love God and love your neighbor. So I've saved everybody a lot of time as you read through the Old Testament. If you wanna know what the Old Testament is about, Jesus said it is about love God and love your neighbor. Jesus said this is the greatest commandment of the old covenant law of Moses. And so here's what Jesus taught. He taught that at the epicenter of our faith isn't just our relationship with God, but also our relationship with our neighbor. The establishment thought the most important thing in all the universe was their relationship with God. Jesus said, okay, that's half right. Because there's also room at the heart of your faith for your relationship with everybody else. And to take care of one is to take care of the other. Now, here's the thing. This wasn't something new. Matter of fact, this was, this was a rehearsal of what had been said many, many times before in the Old Testament. The prophets, prophets like Hosea, prophets like Isaiah, prophets like Amos and Micah and Malachi, they would show up on the scenes oftentimes and they would call the people back to God. Remember those messages out of the Old Testament? You need to come back to God. Why did they need to come back to God? They needed to come back to God because they'd been mistreating people. What was revival in the Old Testament? When people not only loved God, but they loved their neighbor. When people came back to God and started treating people the way that people were supposed to be treated, that's what the Old Testament called revival. That's what the Old Testament called renewal. That's what the Old Testament called God doing something in the midst of his people. And that's the reason God said, okay, if you're mistreating people, stop singing. If you're mistreating people, if you have ill will, if you're gossiping, if you're slandering against people, stop your worship, stop your sacrifices, stop it all because I don't want to hear it. It's no good to me. But that's what they did then, and that's still what people like us do today because religion religion then and religion now gives us so many loopholes that we think we can love God and be a little nasty, be a little unloving, be a little disrespectful, be a little dishonoring towards other people. And as I said last week, and this, this is a big deal, we can all find a system, and we typically do, We can all find a tribe, and we typically do. We can all find a church, and we typically do. A denomination, a verse, a doctrine, a systematic theology that effectively allows us to live the way that we want to live. That effectively allows us to believe what we want to believe. And maybe what you want to believe is what you were told from childhood. Or maybe what you want to believe is what you were exposed to after childhood. But all of us have things that we want to believe. There are some things that are true about life that are uncomfortable to believe. Some of our theology should be uncomfortable to believe. Some of the scripture to believe it should be a bit uncomfortable to us. But we all at the end of the day, we intuitively go in search of a theology, a denomination, a tribe, a church, a way of thinking that allows us to live and behave and believe the way that we want to. Now I want you to think about, just about any issue you want to think about. Think about any hotbed issue of our day, think about it. Political, sexual, financial, relational, historical, racial, family. I mean, you you just take it. Go whatever direction you want to. Think about any issue that's the least bit controversial in our age, and let me tell you what you'll find. You'll find people, who say they believe the Bible and love Jesus on both sides of the issue. How's that possible? Because you can read anything the way that you want to read it. And you can interpret just about anything the way that you want to interpret it. But Jesus showed up and Jesus, he wanted to take away all those loopholes. He wanted to take away our justifications and our rationalizations and our abilities to hide behind Interpretations. Jesus wanted to make what he wanted from us so clear that it would disturb all of us. He wanted us to be so uncomfortable with what it truly means to follow Jesus that we just might have to pause and think, can I really do that? Should I really do that? Because following Jesus is far more demanding than many of us were ever told. Jesus took his disciples the night that he's going to be betrayed by Judas, and he took them to the upper room to celebrate Passover with them. And while he's up there, Jesus washes their feet. Remember that? He takes a towel, takes off his outer robe, and he washes their feet. He washed the feet of all 12 of them. How many of them? 12 of them. How many of them? 12 of them. How many of them? One more time. 12 of them. Two of them. One was a Judas and one was a Simon Peter. One was gonna betray him and one was gonna deny him publicly three times. But guess whose feet he was willing to wash that night. Both the feet of Judas and both the feet of Simon Peter. Fully knowing what they would end up doing later that night. Knowing what was in their heart already. Jesus knew the hearts of people. And he drew near anyway. See, sometimes we don't like to draw near based on what we can see or what we can hear. Jesus knew the heart and he washed feet. Anyway, and Jesus, he told him, he said, this is an example for you. This this is what it's gonna look like to follow me. This is what it's gonna take from you. This is what it's gonna require from you to follow me the way that I want you to follow me. So are you willing to wash the feet of a Judas? Are you willing to wash the feet of a Simon Peter? And so Jesus, he, he's making it really uncomfortable in his last night with his disciples. And Jesus looks at them and he says to them, he says, a new command I give you. A new command. Why did they need a new command? They had 613 of them. They had the top 10 and then they had a whole bunch that was added onto it. And besides that, who was Jesus to give a new command? Moses, he met with the lawgiver up on top of Mount Sinai and brought down the law of God but they didn't know fully in that moment that standing in front of them was the lawgiver that met with Moses on top of Mount Sinai. Jesus was the lawgiver become flesh. He was God manifested in the flesh. He was the eternal word of God become flesh. And he what? He dwelt among us. And so there he is, the lawgiver. And he says, I'm gonna give you a new law. A new law that's gonna supersede all the laws that came before it. So everything that came before this It's not as important as what I'm about to say. And so they lean in and they're like, okay, well, what's this new command? And then Jesus says, love one another. And they're thinking to themselves, like some of you thought before, it's like, I don't think he knows he's told us this before. This isn't new. We've heard this sermon before, right? Been sitting in church before and the pastor's up there and he's super excited about it. Like the first time he's ever talked about it, but he's like, I got these notes from last May. This is not the first time he said this. Let me just give you a little secret. We know that. But you are an anomaly. The rest of the people you're seated with, they have no idea. They have no idea. They didn't listen the first time around. They probably not listened the second time around. And so they think, well, Jesus, he's just preached so much, he doesn't even know that he's actually said this message before. Jesus, remember, you know, love God, love your neighbor. Hey, that's the, that's the thing that the old covenant, the law and the prophets hang on. But, but Jesus, he's not finished. He says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must. No question about this. If you're going to follow me, this is what you must do. If you're going to claim to follow me, this is what you must do. If you're going to follow me, you don't get a say in this. A new command I give to you. Matter of fact, you know, all the old covenant, love God, love your neighbor. But in this new covenant that I'm about to begin with you, there's only one command. There's only one law, and this is it. And this law is more important than any of the other laws. I know you thought that love God and love your neighbor was a big deal. But let me tell you, love each other the way I have loved you. That is the biggest deal. And this was new in the fact that Jesus, he raised the standard. He said, just don't love your neighbor the way you want to be loved. And just don't do it unto others the way you want them to do for you. He said, no, 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 no. It's bigger than that. It's more demanding than that. It's harder than that. I want you to love them the way I have loved you. This was new in emphasis. Nothing more important than this. If you want to know what the most important thing in your Bible is, apart from Jesus dying for your sins and being resurrected from the dead, it's this right here because he said, this is what you must do if you're going to follow me. It was new in example because he was the one who defined what they were supposed to do. They were not gonna get to define love. He was going to define love. And then it's new in the fact that there's nobody off limits, there's no exceptions, there's no exemptions. Doesn't matter what race you are, doesn't matter how you believe, doesn't matter what you behave. Every person is your neighbor. And this was brand new because the establishment thought that their neighbor had to be Jewish. And just not Jewish, but it had to be clean Jews. And if you were an unclean Jew, you were not so much my neighbor and I just didn't have to love you the way that I would want you to love me. So this was clear, really clear. Let me tell you, they had a lot of questions. They had a lot of things they didn't understand. They had a lot that they still was curious about, just like you. But this right here, they understood this because this was personal. This was experiential. This didn't have anything to do with how many verses you know. This this has nothing to do with your interpretation of the Bible. This has nothing to do with your theological box or your systematic approach to how you read the scriptures. This had to do with having to know one thing, how Jesus had loved them. And each of them in that room that night knew how Jesus had loved them. Jesus knew exactly how they had been loved individually. And listen, Jesus had loved them all perfectly, but Jesus had loved them all uniquely and some of them required a different type of love, a different expression of love. And one person's story was not another person's story. And Jesus had been one way with some and not another way with others. But the one thing that each of them knew, they didn't know what it was like to be loved like Peter was loved or the way that Nathaniel was loved, but they didn't know what it was like to be loved the way they had been loved. Now, there's a lot we may not know about the Bible, And I want to tell you, I just want to go on record. I love the Bible. I love the Word of God. I read it every day. I study it. But let me tell you, there's a lot I don't understand. And there's a lot that I can see this way and I can see that way. But you know what? Jesus said it doesn't matter. Because the one thing that each of you know, the one thing that each of you can grasp, is how you've been loved by Jesus. And Jesus said Since you know how you've been loved by me, I want you to go love other people. So Jesus, he levels the playing field. You don't have to be a theologian to know how to follow Jesus. You don't have to be a Bible scholar in order to know how to follow Jesus. You just have to know how you've been loved. And Jesus said, how you've been loved is what you must do. You must love others the way that I have loved you. In other words, Jesus is saying this, love begins not with loving, but with being loved. See, we're not called to generate love. We're not called to manufacture love. No, we are called to be a conduit of the love that we have received. The love that we have received, we pass on to other people in like manner. My capacity to love and your capacity to love is rooted in and grounded to the fact that we have been loved by the Savior. That we have been loved by Jesus in a complete perfect, unique way. And because we've been loved by Jesus, and we know that we've been loved by Jesus, and we've received that love that Jesus has for us, we have the capacity to love as he has loved us. John would say it years later. We love because what? He first loved us. Our capacity to love has nothing to do with the way that we were raised. Whether dad was there, mom was there, whether it was an affectionate family, a non-affectionate family, whether it was a tough life or an easy life, whether we were rich or whether we were poor, has nothing to do with that. Those things shape us and those things mark us. But our capacity to love as Jesus' followers the way that Jesus loved us is completely anchored to how he is has loved us. And Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says, this is the mark of the new covenant. This is the birthmark of the second birth. Again, John, one of his followers would write later, this is how you know you've passed from death unto life because you love one another. That's how you know you belong to Jesus. That's how you know you've been justified by faith. That's how you know that your sins have been forgiven. That's how you know you've been brought into the family of God. That's how you know you've been grafted into the new covenant. This is how you know. Because you love one another. And now no longer is it about the foods you eat like it was in first century Judaism. No longer is it about the temple that you attend. And no longer is it about the sacrifices that you make. And it's not about how you dress. And it's not about your songs. It's not about any of that. The thing that will set us apart as followers of Jesus according to Jesus is when we love the way that he has loved us. And they had no idea that this would be the thing that would change them, change those around them, change the world. And for us, I want to remind all of us at the Creek Church, this is still our best play. Matter of fact, when God gave us the playbook, there was only one play. Love one another as I've loved you. And when you do that by this, they will know that you are my disciples and out of that one thing will flow everything else. So as Christians, Jesus followers, here's what we should be concerned about. We, could, we should be concerned about what that means, what that means for us, what that means for us as a church, what that means more specifically for us as individual followers of Jesus. And here's what you need to understand. If you wanna know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, you have to look at what Jesus did. If you wanna know what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, then pay attention to what Jesus did. And so the question that we should all ask, matter of fact, I think it's the most important question that a follower of Jesus can ask based on what Jesus just said, is this question right here. How did Jesus love? How did Jesus love? If Jesus said a new command, matter of fact, it's the only command, the one commandment of the new covenant is to love one another as I have loved you. If this is the thing that he wants us to be known for, what does it mean to love like Jesus? Well, if you wanna know what it means to love like Jesus, then you have to look at how Jesus loved. And there's so many things that I could say about this, and I don't know how many of them I'll get through, but as the old time preacher would say, I got more hay on my cart than I can unload. Some of you have no idea what that means. (laughs) I'm so sorry for your upbringing. How did Jesus love? Well, here's how Jesus loved. He loved up close. I've said this before, and I'm going to keep on saying it. It's easy to hate from far away. It's easy to hate from high top your ivory tower and my ivory tower. But let me tell you how Jesus loved. He loved up close. How close? He left heaven and came to earth. The word became flesh and dwelt among who? Us sinners. How did he love? He loved up close. And he loved with compassion, patience, and kindness. That's how Jesus loved. So what does it mean to love like Jesus? It means for us to love up close. Not to love from far away, because I'm not even convinced you can love them from far away. The people that you have a hard time loving, the people that you think of, the some that exist in your reality that's just difficult to get under your skin, that irritate you, the only way you're gonna be able to love like Jesus is you're gonna to have to get up close. Because up close, that's when compassion comes alive. That's when patience and kindness comes alive. This is what it says of Jesus. When he saw the crowds, all of them, all the stuff, all the sin, all the muck, all the mire, He had compassion on them, why? Because he got up close, close enough to feel something because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's how Jesus saw people. Jesus got close enough to peer over the sin and the dysfunction to see the person. The reason that sometimes we struggle loving some people, is because from the distance that we have set ourselves up at, it is hard to see over their sin. It is hard for us to see over their habit. It is hard for us to see over their dysfunction, to see who they are. But Jesus got close enough to look beyond that. He took a personal interest in individual people. He got close enough to hear their stories. Not so that it would excuse their behavior, but so that it would explain their behavior. That's what Jesus did. He got close enough. And he listened to them. And he heard their stories. He heard about their childhood. He heard about their hurts. He heard about their brokenness. When you get close enough to hear people's stories, you will find it easier to give grace. Because when you get close enough to someone and you begin to listen and you begin to pay attention, you begin to feel And you wonder why they've struggled with addiction all these years. And you wonder why in the world would you sell our family out? And why would you steal from mom? And why would you steal from grandma? And why why would you do that? And then one day in the strictest of confidence, they tell you what happened to them once upon a time. And they say, that's when it started. And then it changed for you. The way you felt changed. How you thought about them changed. And all of a sudden, you understood. One theologian said that Jesus, he got so close, he was able to love through the mud. That's how Jesus lived. He loved through the mud, through the muck, through the mire. He said they're harassed, they're helpless. Sin's taken control of them. He wasn't angry, he was broken hearted. I'm serious, I'm telling you, I know you get tired of me saying things like this, but I'm gonna keep on saying it. I, I just, I, I feel like this is why I exist right now. Christians have been angry for far too long. We have not been brokenhearted. So let's stop being angry with what people are doing and how people are living and how people are behaving. Let's get brokenhearted about it. Jesus said, look at what sin's doing to them. Look at how sin's destroy them. Jesus refused to live by adjectives. He saw sin as a noun. And when he saw sin as a noun, he said, you know what? They're, They're not necessarily choosing this sin. Sin is expressing this through them. That's how Jesus loved. Jesus was patient with people that couldn't keep up because they were so broken. Broken like us. And yeah, we can be put back together, but you know what? The cracks are still there. And for some of us, the cracks are fresher than others. And for some of us, it's not healed completely. And we're all going to be cracked in this life until we are made perfect in the next. So let's be patient with each other. Let's not demand that everybody be as good as you are or as I am. Let's be willing to let people have some space and have some time to work it out and to be kind. Can you imagine getting angry at a cancer patient who loses their hair? We can't even imagine somebody would do that. Why would we get angry with someone who's been so broken by sin we see what sin has done to them? the disease of sin. Why do we do that? That's how Jesus loved. He loved up close with compassion, patience and kindness. How did Jesus love? He loved by honoring others according to their God-given dignity. Jesus knew that every person was made in the image of God. Every person, unborn and born, made in the image of God. And you know what that means for us Christians? We believe that every person born or unborn, has value because they have value based on the fact that they bear the image of God. Their value isn't how old they are, how young they are. Their value isn't in what they believe or how they behave. Their value is established by God. God created them uniquely, fearfully, wonderfully. And they bear the image of God. And every person we see, every person we talk to, every person we engage with is made in the image of God. They are valuable to God and they should be valuable to us. So I don't care about, you know, I don't care what they got to say. I don't care what they think. I don't care. I don't care. You don't understand how Jesus loved. Jesus gave dignity to every person. And when you give dignity to every person, you care what they think. You care why they think what they think. You care about how they got to the place where they are, why they've made the choices they've made. You care about that because you see God in every person. I don't care. For a Jesus follower, that's not an option. You can be a Republican and not care. You can be a Democrat and not care. You can be an independent libertarian and not care. You can be conservative and not care, liberal and not care. You can be educated and not care, And uneducated and not care. But let me tell you what, you can't be and not care. You can't be a follower of Jesus and not care. People are more than the sum total of their beliefs and behavior. And I for one wanna say, thanks be to God for that. I am more than what I believe. I am more than what I believe and how I behave. I am more than my worst moment and I am more than my best moment. And guess what? Good news for you. So are you. So are you. That's how Jesus loved. How did Jesus love? He spoke uncompromised truth and gave unconditional grace. Now, for those of us who need to know it, and for those of us who need to be reminded of it, and for those of us who need to hear it. Jesus was a truth teller. Jesus loved the truth. Jesus believed the truth. More than that, Jesus said, ha, ha I am the truth. Put that in your pipe and smoke. Well, he wouldn't want you to put it in a pipe and smoke it. But he, he would say, put it in your pipe and pretend to smoke it, but don't inhale, all right, I mean, whatever it is. Whatever Jesus would say to you about that. I don't know why some of you are so excited about that. I mean, you just got really set free right there. I don't know, I'm telling you. I like it though. I kind of feel like we're kindred spirits right now. All right. Gave me the boldness to say what I'm about to say. All right, right. no. Jesus told the truth. Now, don't forget this. Some people, when you talk about love and you talk about, you know, love your neighbor and talk about loving as Jesus loved and you talk about, you know, accepting and you talk about inviting to the table, some of us, just the way we're wired, we get, we get antsy, we get nervous. What does that mean? You what know, well, does it mean this? And does it mean that? What about this? And what about that? Well, what about here? And what about there? Listen, love always strengthens the expression of grace without weakening the essence of truth. You can speak truth. And as you do, when you speak it in love, it increases, it increases makes strong the expression of grace, but it does not undermine, dilute, or negate the essence of what is true. Listen, Jesus told the truth. If you believe Jesus always told the truth, say, I do. All right, Jesus always told the truth. Jesus valued the truth, but let me tell you what else Jesus valued. How he told the truth, the tone in which he told the truth, the time in which he told the truth, the place in which he told the truth, and the motive for which he told the truth. Jesus thought that it was important to tell the truth at the right time in the right place for the right motive. I wonder if the same is always true for us. Sometimes I wonder if Christians out in culture just don't wanna go on a truth bombing charade or truth bombing you know, episode. Not because they love the truth so much, but because they think they're doing God a favor and because they think it's gonna make them feel good, they're willing to let somebody else be harmed by the weaponization of truth. Sometimes I wonder if we're really wanting to tell the truth for the right reason and the right motive. I'm talking about me and I'm talking about you. I'm talking about all of us because this this is what happens to us when we get locked in to religion. Jesus had truth conversations all the time. And listen, here's one that will mess with your mind and I I can't stay here very long. Jesus told the truth to everybody, but he didn't tell the truth in the same way to everybody. Jesus looked at the religious establishment and called him snakes. Do you know what you'll never find Jesus calling sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes? Snakes. That one will get you. It's like, why would he do that? Jesus, he's Jesus. Jesus is going to love like me. You you, got to know who you can tell the truth to in one way and who you need to say the truth to in another way. You need to understand how to use truth as a scalpel and not as a dagger. You need to understand there are times to tell the truth from here and there's a time to tell the truth right here. Because truth, it frees, it heals. And sometimes it takes a lot of grace, a lot of grace to open up the door for somebody to hear truth. Jesus raised the standard. He raised the standard so high. He said, hey, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. He said, but if you hate your brother, if you hate your sister in your heart, you're already a murderer. And they're all thinking, I've hated people before. And he says, hey, you've heard the one about thou shalt not commit adultery. If you've looked at her, if you've looked at him and you thought, "Mm, I'd like to have some of that. He says, you're an adulterer already. And everybody goes, oh. He cut out their legs. And not only theirs, but ours. And he raised the standard so high, he says, you fall short of it. Everyone falls short of the glory standard of God. But then he announced grace for all those who fall short of the glory. That's how Jesus loved, and you know what? I needed that type of love because I fell short of the standard. There's only one hell, there's not a hell number one, and not a hell number two, not a hell number three, there's only one. And it doesn't matter how far, how far you fell short, without the grace of God, there's only one place left. How did Jesus love? By not allowing theology to get in the way of mercy. He didn't. He believed perfect. He had a perfect theology, perfect belief system. He interpreted the scriptures right, but he never let theology choke off mercy. He, He never let that happen. That's why he washed the feet of Simon Peter. That's the reason he washed the feet of Judas. He didn't fear guilt by association. He didn't feel like he needed to clean house up there in the upper room to say, well, I hope nobody hears that Judas is here. I know what they say about our church. I know what some of the people you run into say about our church. And they love to talk about the Judases and they like to talk about the Simon Peter's and they like to talk about the other folks that are at our church. But I hope you know I don't care. And I don't think you should either. Because if you would have been there that night, he would have let you be there too. And he would have washed your feet as well. And Jesus said. I'm not going to let theology. I have a theology. But I'm not going to let it get in the way of mercy. How did Jesus love? He loved from the middle. Jesus said. And this is where we'll end it. Jesus said. Disciples of mine. Beware the leaven. Of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the ultra conservatives. The Sadducees. Were the ultra liberals. Jesus said, Beware of those who live at the end of the spectrum. Beware of those who live on the ends of ideology, politics, theology. Because to live on the extremes, you have to forfeit mercy and love when it comes to loving those who are not. On your side. Jesus said, that's why I came to be in the middle, to reach a hand to the liberal, to reach a hand to the conservative. They couldn't figure it out. Is Jesus conservative or is Jesus liberal? They couldn't figure it out. Is Jesus right wing or is Jesus left wing? They couldn't figure it out. But Jesus decided to do ministry from the uncomfortable, excruciating, messy, scandalous, controversial middle. And at times he seemed to be conservative and at times he seemed to be liberal, but he would not find a box that he would allow people to put him in because you can only love everyone from the middle. And Jesus decided that he would do ministry just like he was born in the middle between what was old and what was new. And he decided that he would do ministry in the middle just like he would die in the middle of one on his left and one on his right. And he says, if you're gonna follow me, you're gonna have to be okay with being in the middle. You may have to say no to party. You may have to say no to ideology. You may have to say no to this group or that group or this position or this issue. Because to be in the middle, the only place that you can extend a hand in both directions is right there between them both. That's how Jesus loved. And Jesus said, just as I've loved you, I want you to love one another when you're not sure what to do think about how jesus has loved you and love like that you don't have to have theology course for that you don't have to have the books of the bible memorized for that you don't have to have 10 verses you know how jesus has loved you for god demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners dirty unclean unholy he laid down his life for us. Hereby 1 John three sixteen. Hereby we perceive the love of God that he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for who? One another. Philippians 2 verse 5 Paul said let this mindset be in every relationship that you have just as Jesus Christ thought you also think towards one another. When you're not sure what to do How am I going to handle that? What should I do? Think about how Jesus has loved you and go love like that. Are Are we going to bat a thousand? We're not going to bat a thousand. Are you going to get it right every time? You're not going to get it right every time. But that's what we must do. I went to the gas station the other day, started the pump and did what a lot of people do in that time. I started cleaning out all my collection of Starbucks cups from that week's coffee runs. And I just started throwing things, throwing things, throwing things, getting stuff out with the boys I had, throwing things, throwing things. And then I realized what I just did. I threw my key fob in the garbage. And I knew what had to be done because that key fob, that was the only way I was gonna to get to where I was going. I, I couldn't do anything, my car would shut off. And in that moment, What was at the bottom of all of that garbage and mess, at the bottom of that muck and mire, was far more important than anything in that garbage can. And as much as I didn't want to, and as much as I would have probably paid someone else to do it for me, I leaned on the garbage can, and with one leg, I started moving the stuff around. Some of it was wet, some of it was gooey, And I got down there, and I found it, and I pulled it out. And after I avoided a momentary freak out, and after I got disinfected, I thought to myself, once upon a time, I was that key fob. And sin had thrown me away. I chased sin to the bottom of the bucket He waded through the garbage and the muck and the mire because I was more important than what I had done and who I was as a sinner was more important to him than my sin and as the old song said he reached way below the bottom and he loved me and he brought me to himself that's what he did for you let's be willing to do that for each other Let's reach through the garbage. Through the muck and through the mire. Let's be willing to get dirty. Let's be willing to do what we're uncomfortable doing. And let's get so close to the thing that's important to us, which is each other. And that's love the way that Jesus is loved. Because when you're not sure what to do, think about how Jesus loved you and go love like that. Heavenly Father, Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. What Jesus said that night in the upper room, it was so clear, it was so personal. He took away all of our excuses and all the loopholes and he took away all of our interpretations and theological systems that we can hide behind. And he said, as I've loved you, I want you to love each other. I want you to be willing to lay down your lives for each other. I want you to be willing to go the distance for each other. To never give up on each other. To get up close and be compassionate and patient and kind with each other. God, speak to our hearts in this moment. Show us if there's anyone that we don't love the way that you have loved us. And if so, convict our hearts. And may we confess it turn from it. In Jesus' name.